0: Hello, and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by Manscaped.com. It's an international break this weekend. No Premier League action to preview, to look ahead to, but um, I thought it would be a really good opportunity to do a little bit of a Q&A with you guys. So I've been uh, posting on the socials um, from this morning, asking you guys to fire over your questions on anything Arsenal and football related. Happy to discuss anything. Um, and we've had lots of questions, so really, really looking forward to... To doing this, I've had to write some of them down because they've been coming from different platforms. So rather than me scrambling around uh, looking for them from all these different places, I figured that would probably be the best way. Um, but we're going to be discussing a variety of things. Looking at your, uh, looking at your comments so far, we're going to be talking Abamyang, we're going to be talking William, we're going to be talking Mikel Arteta, Emile Smith Rowe, the international break, and the fixture pileup, among other things. Plus, whatever you guys. Uh, jump in with in the live comment section as well. Uh, Just because you haven't got your question in in advance doesn't mean I'm not going to answer it or touch on it. So feel free to fill up the chat box as we go throughout this program uh, with your uh, questions. And uh, yeah, let's let's get down to business. Let's begin uh, with the first question, uh, which comes from Steve, and it asks, Where is it? Here it is. It asks, will Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang be deployed through the middle when Arsenal return to action? Um, Will he? I can't answer that definitively. I don't know what Mikel Arteta um, plans to do, but should he? I guess if you're asking me that, I think probably yes. Um, I think at the beginning of Mikel Arteta's tenure and, and, and even further along the line, like particularly around the time when we won the FA Cup, Um, You know, and we were were going really well and we got to the final and then Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang having already uh, popped up as a hero in the semi-final then became the hero in the final as well. I don't think anybody could deny that Aubameyang playing from the left at that point uh, was working, but it's not working at the moment. And I think that's clear for everybody to see. It's clear by how uninvolved he is uh, in certain games it's clear by how little of the ball he sees uh, by how many goal scoring opportunities he finds himself with per game so on that basis I think it's fair to say that it was working but it's not working anymore will Mikel Arteta change it after the break I can't say that with any degree of certainty to be honest there's clearly a reason he feels that Pierre-Emerick is better suited to out on the left hand side? Is it because he doesn't trust in his ability to hold up the ball and bring others into the game? Is it because he senses that the player maybe has less work rate than, for example, Alexander Lacazette? Perhaps. But for me, when it's so abundantly clear that, um, you know, it's not working in terms of what we're doing now, I think you have to consider the change. I think he will consider it. I don't know if those considerations will lead though, to Mikel Arteta making that change. Would I do it? Yes, I think I would because even with Lacazette, who's supposedly a harder working forward, shall we say, we're still not fashioning the opportunities or not enough opportunities anyway. And when we do get chances, which we've seen fall to Lacazette, um, they're not being converted. And on that basis, you know, you, you look at Obamiang's goal scoring record and you look at Lacazette's goal scoring record. And it's probably fair to say that, you know, Aubameyang would convert a greater percentage of those chances. So for me, I think it's the move now. Um, I think it's what Mikel Arteta should be thinking about. And I think it's what he should be doing going into the next fixture. Um, that's my view. But of course, whether he's going to do that or not remains to be seen. Uh, So thank you for that question. I know the question was, will it it happen? Will Aubameyang move back to a central forward position? I can't say 100% that he will. But if you're asking me whether I'd do it, I think the time has come now to try something else. Because playing him from the left and having Lacazette through the middle is just simply not working at the moment. We're essentially... I think wasting our biggest goal-scoring threat out on a flank. And and people have sussed it out, haven't they? I mean, we, we, I referred to the those couple of FA Cup games, the game against City, the game against Chelsea. And there was a very deliberate plan from Arsenal to find uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in certain spaces, to work uh, spaces for him. But that's kind of gone to shit since, and it's not working now. So it's got to change. Um, But whether Mikel Arteta will make that change or not remains to be seen. Uh, Let's move on to another question. This one comes from uh, Alex. Alex says, would you drop Willian from the starting 11? He's taken a lot of heat from our fans of late. I don't think it's all justified. Um, I think I would drop him. Yeah. Um, And I've made no secret of that in the in the recent shows that we've done on here. I just feel like with Willian, we're in a space where he's not producing outputs. I guess from Mikel Arteta's point of view, he clearly plays the role exactly as the manager wants it. And that is as somebody who's going to tuck inside, somebody who's going to defend quite well, be quite rigid in his positioning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, as opposed to somebody like Pepe, who isn't ever going to work back is going to be more direct. You know, I think that that in Mikel Arteta's vision of what this Arsenal side needs to be, Willian is 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 closer to that vision, but like what like I've just said, he's not produced. He, the outputs are not there. Uh picked up some assists on the opening day of the season, but since then we've seen very very little from Willian. Does he deserve the you know, some people have sat there and gone oh, you know, he's terrible, why did we sign him? Um, what a waste of money, he's passed it, he's finished, he's no good, that's why Chelsea let him go. I think that criticism is quite strong and probably a little bit over the top. And the reason I say that is because Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who we were all thrilled, signed a new contract recently, It is also producing very little from the other side. So it's clearly a systemic issue for me and not so much one that is down to the personnel. Now, I think that Nicolas Pepe is more direct. I think that Nicolas Pepe can be frustrating at times. But if you played him every week, he gives you a bit more of a directness in the sense of his ability to carry the ball. I think his willingness to always cut inside on that left foot of his um, helps you attack the penalty area. And I think that naturally creates more spaces for the fullback to get forward on the on the flank as well. Um and whatever people say about Nicolas Pepe, the outputs are there. The goal contributions are there. We're talking about somebody who, um, you know, has, has had a lot of pressure, has been spoken about as a flop. 72 million pound waste of money, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just going to bring up the statistics on on Nicolas Pepe in terms of his direct goal contributions, because we did discuss this on a show the other day Um I can't exactly remember the numbers off the top of my head. That's why I want to bring them up. So it's 23 direct goal contributions in 54 Arsenal appearances, which is, you know, pretty good going, I think. Um, You know, yes, we all agree that he could do more and that he could be better and that there's still a lot more to come from Nicolas Pepe, but I think those outputs are pretty respectable. And when you compare that, To And you take into consideration that Willian is still being selected ahead of him every single week, um, regardless of the way he performs. I think people are right to feel that Nicolas Pepe is being slightly harshly treated and feel as though he now deserves a run in the side to show what he can do. Um, So, yeah, thank you for that question. I hope I've answered it for you. Uh, Moving on to a couple of general ones, actually. this one comes from Abdul. Do Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have a right to complain about the fixture pileup? I think they have a right to complain about it under normal circumstances. I think that, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was, was very vocal about it as well. Jose Mourinho has spoken about it in the past. Mikel Arteta's touched on it without being so forthright and without being as blatant about it. Um, but look, I think. In an ideal world, we'd like to see the Premier League look after their teams a little bit more and help them in European competition. You know, we often see it in other leagues where, you know, a team will have a key Champions League game on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and their league will say, right, you can play early on the Saturday or late on the Friday meaning that you get that extra rest and and preparation time that you need. So I understand why there is a frustration about that and I understand why they've voiced those concerns. I just feel like this season is obviously very different to others. Um, With the pandemic, we've had to squeeze essentially what would have been a full season into a shorter period of time. And now we're in a race against the clock to make sure that the European Championships get played in the summer and that we can then shift back to our normal calendar. So this year was always going to be more challenging than other years. Again, I understand the concerns. I understand the frustration. But I just feel like go big on it last year, go big on it next year. But this year, the only answer you're going to get is is the word pandemic. And, and you know, what are you going to achieve by kicking up a stink? You know, particularly in in the cases of, of Manchester City and Liverpool, who have the squads to cope with it. You know, there are sides with lesser squads. You know, Leicester City, for example, they're in the Europa League this season. They're having to play games constantly, and they have a smaller squad with less quality than that of Manchester City. Yet, I don't hear Brendan Rodgers making such a big deal out of it. So, I think they have a point generally, but I think this season is obviously a special case. And so I would uh, calm down a little bit on that if I was them. But that's just my view. Um, Let's move on to another question. This one comes from Oscar. He says, Emil Smith-Rowe, does he deserve a place in the squad having played 90 minutes for the under-23s? So Emil Smith-Rowe played 90 minutes for the under-23s in the game against, I think it was Gillingham um, the other day. Um, So yeah, Look, he's back fit, which is obviously a positive. Delighted to see him back in the frame. I've spoken in the past about my admiration for Emil Smith-Rowe and the belief I have in the guy's ability. But fitness has been an issue for him, and it continues to be an issue for him. And so, you know, can he be relied upon at this stage? No. Um, does he deserve opportunities? Yeah, look, if he's fit and... And in particular in the Europa League and and the Cups, I think that he does deserve opportunities. But I think the hype train on Emil Smith-Rowe is just gathering a little bit too much pace for me, considering he's played very little football for the first team. I think that often we look at academy products, young players, and we get carried away and we get excited. And we're often blinded by our desire to see them succeed. I think he he has the potential to be a fantastic player, but injuries have been a major, major issue for Emil smith Rowan. Can he turn a corner in terms of his fitness? Fingers crossed. If he does, then yeah, I think he deserves a place in the squad. Um, But I still feel like he's got a long way to go before we can definitively say that Mikel Arteta can no longer overlook this kid and that he definitely 100% deserves a place in the squad. Um, let's see what you guys are saying in the live chat as well. Got a couple more questions. I'll come to, um, from our YouTube, uh, post as well. So I have a look at those two. Um, Melo Jones says, Hey, Harry, love the show and your content. Thank you so much, mate. He says you should really check out the athletics article today on Arsenal's shot shy gunners. I'd be happy to send you a PDF. I'll check it out, mate. Thank you. I, am. Um, I, I do have a subscription to the athletics, so I will check that out. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting, actually, to to pick up on why Arsenal are so shot shy at the moment. And it is, um, it is down to a combination of reasons, I think. Obviously, I've not read the article yet. I think that we probably um, don't move the ball quick enough to create the spaces for shots. Um, I don't think we're direct enough at times. Um, and I think gen- our general lack of creativity, obviously, has a knock-on effect on that particular stat. Um, so that's completely understandable. Um, in my view, but I will check that out. Thank you so much. Um, Let's see what we've got on our YouTube post. Um, This one's a nice question. This one comes from Gervin. He says, what's your first ever and also most recent truly great memory of Arsenal? doesn't have to be results related. Um, My first ever Arsenal memory was the first game I went to, obviously. Um, And it was off the top of my head... I think it was in 1996. I'm just Googling it because I remember the game and I remember the score and everything. Um, I'm just double checking um, that it was in 1996. I'm pretty sure it was. I remember I was living in South London at the time um, and it was a game between Arsenal and Borussia Mönchengladbach um, in what was the UEFA Cup at the time. Uh, Just double checking the date. I'm 99% sure it was 1996. Um, and yeah, we we drove up from South London um, for the game. And uh, we went to the game and it wasn't a great performance from Arsenal, actually, that night. Um, I remember us not being the better side. And Stefan Effenberg, in particular, uh, was a really big player for Mönchengladbach back then. It was prior to him earning the move to Bayern Munich. So he was very much on the up at that time. And yeah, that was that was my first... Game and and although the result wasn't amazing, it was the um, it was the it was the buzz of going to a football match. You know the that first buzz of going to a game and 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 you know being really excited and you know when you come out into the stadium for the first time when you walk up the steps and you get that first glance of the ground. That's obviously a really surreal feeling. Um it was free two, sorry. Yeah, free two. Um it was a UEFA Cup first round, first leg, Arsenal glad back at Hybrid. It was the tenth of September, nineteen ninety six. So yeah. Um I remember more about the experience than the actual game itself. Um, obviously being six years old. Um but yeah. It was 3-2 to Gladbach. I remember Stefan Effenberg being the star. And I remember just kind of the whole day and the whole build up to it and getting there and going into the ground. So that was my first ever Arsenal game and probably my first ever Arsenal memory. You said it didn't have to be with regards to the result. And that wasn't because the result was a negative one. But obviously the, um, the, uh, the whole buzz around it and, and it being my first game was massive for me. Um, truly great memory of Arsenal recently. Well, there's not been many. Um, really has there? Um, I often hear people talking about the Danny Welbeck goal against Leicester City at the Emirates. I think that's one of the most celebrated goals of recent times. But obviously, we didn't we didn't end up winning the title, so that kind of takes away from that for me. I think of recent-ish memories. Um, I probably got to go to the the gate, the win over Barcelona when our scored um, after Van Persie's equaliser, having found ourselves a goal down against Barca I thought that was an incredible night at the Emirates one of the most atmospheric um and it's one of the games that we did a uh a, a flashback on during the first lockdown um because for me that game meant so much and it was a really incredible night so yeah um thank you for that question nice to talk about memories and not necessarily um sort of uh sort of the the negatives that are surrounding the club at the moment. Uh, Moving on, Omar says, I hope you're well, Harry. How many games would you give Arteta to sort himself out? I think whatever happens, Mikel Arteta needs this season. Um, I'm not going to be calling for him to be sacked until at least the end of this season. I say that now, that might change depending on how bad things get. But at this moment in time, I still think it's really early to judge him. And I said at the start of this campaign that if we were closer to the top four, that would be progress for me. Um, But, you know, I I can't sit here and say I'll give him five games or I'll give him three games. I've seen some people say that they'll give him three games. I think that's not enough. Um, I think we've got to be fair, understand the job that he's taken on. And I think in many ways, the fact that Mikel Arteta won the FA Cup so early in his tenure has actually done him a lot of harm rather than good because it's kind of raised the bar of expectation. At the beginning, everybody was willing to accept this was going to take time, you know, talking about the process, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But having won the FA Cup and given us that taste of glory, I think people's expectations have accelerated as a result of that. And that's not necessarily um, right, in my opinion. So, yeah, look, I wouldn't be calling for Mikel Arteta's head until at least, at the very least, the end of this season. Look, unless... Things get really, really bad and the poor results continue and the lack of creativity continues and Arsenal find themselves in a really embarrassing, worse position than they were last season. Then then I don't think that changes. But if that was to be the case, then, of course, you reconsider that and you look back at it and you think about it and you reevaluate it and you come up with another idea, another decision. But yeah, um, that's how I feel at the moment. So at least until the end of the season. Big hello to those of you watching us or listening to us, I should say, via the We're the North Bank platform. Um, Thank you so much. And to those of you who have joined us from the uh, Pain in the Arsenal podcast as well, thank you to every single one of you. Delighted to have you guys on board. So welcome. Uh, Don't forget, if you're watching us live at the moment and you haven't already, smash the like button. Um, It is very, very important that you do that. It helps the channel uh, grow. And uh, so I'd very much appreciate it if you could do that, please. Smash the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new. Um, Lee asks, did we really need to have an international break given the circumstances around the current pandemic? Absolutely not. Um, Absolutely not. It seems ludicrous, doesn't it? I mean, I understand that There are some games that need playing and there are some situations that need resolving. For example, the playoffs for the Euros. I get why those games are going ahead. And by the way, this is not to say that I don't wish the other countries competing good luck. But particularly, I want to see Scotland qualify tonight. I really do. Um, You know, obviously, by the time you guys are listening to this on the audio, the game will have been done. But for those of you watching us live I really want to see uh, Scotland progress. It'll be their first tournament since 1998. Um, and I went to Hampden Park last season. Some of you may have caught the vlog um, on this channel to watch Cyprus, actually, my beloved Cyprus, play against Scotland. And obviously Cyprus are not a high profiled opponent or anything like that. But as away fans that day, we were welcomed brilliantly, um, you know, the, the, The Scottish fans turned up in their huge numbers, supported their team very vocally. I was really impressed by the atmosphere at Handel Park. Lovely people, lovely atmosphere. And I think that they, you know, given what we've seen from the Tartan army over the years of how they get behind their team, go abroad, follow their team, support them. I feel like they more than most um, deserve to be able to go to a tournament. Fingers crossed by the time the Euros come around will be able to attend games again but yeah I'd, I'd really like to see them uh, qualify for Euro is it 2020 or 2021 now I don't even know um, what they've done with the name stuff so yeah um I heard that they were going to leave it as Euro 2020 and then I've seen it referred to by some as 2021 so I don't really know but anyway um yeah best of luck to Scotland tonight in their game against Serbia uh let's see what else we've got here in terms of your question. Uh, Tejas mentions Tony Kroos. Of course, he's been involved in a little bit of a spat with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Oh, a spat, is that the right word? Tony Kroos made some comments about Aubameyang being a role model and not being a very good one because he pulls out a mask to celebrate and Aubameyang's kind of hit back um, on social media. Check that out if you haven't already. Um, to be fair to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, he did... Want to clarify that those comments had actually come from Tony Kroos before he responded to it. Um, you know, it's it's Tony Kroos is someone who's who's got a history of being a little bit outspoken, was quite vocal on the mess at Ozil leaving the German setup thing, um, rightly or wrongly. So I, I I you know I feel like it's probably an unnecessary little bit of back and forward, but I'm glad Aubameyang's responded because he's not wrong. Um, he's not wrong at all. Um, let's see what else you guys are saying at uh, Sean Allen, Sean from Jamaica. Do you honestly think Mickey is out of his depth? Your views? So hard to say. It's so hard to say. I spoke about this at length, actually on, on the sort of two podcasts following on from the Villa defeat. Can we say he's out of his depth now? No. Um, I think it is too early, but we can also say that he is going to, he is somebody who's still got a lot of personal development. Uh, to come and and that's because he's he's new to the side, you know um new to the side, new to the job it's his first managerial job, sorry, distracted because my phone's ringing um how can he be how can we say he's out of his depth when I don't think he's at adequate time? It's kind of the way I would look at it, so yeah, um not gonna. Kind of give you a a definitive answer. Either way, look, I think time will tell whether this job is too big um, for Mikel Arteta or not. But at this moment, um, I can't see. I can't see how people can come to that conclusion. Um. Yeah. Uh, look, it's um, it's a fair thing to say. It's a fair thing. No, it's not a fair thing to say. It's a fair thing to discuss and a fair thing to wonder because of the way things have gone um lately. But having said that, um it is early and so let's not let's not lose faith completely in Mikkel just yet. Um let's see what else you guys have got here. Um Splice? is that how you say that? Apologies if I butchered that. It says do you think the reason William got signed and Louis got re signed was because Gabriel's agent said it was the only way he would let Gabriel come to Arsenal. Nah, I don't think so. I think obviously the fact that there's a, a Brazilian contingent growing at Arsenal both on the pitch and behind the scenes will have played a part in convincing Gabriel that he could settle down at the Emirates. I don't think it's the only reason that he joined Arsenal though, but I I do think that you know it it will have played a part naturally when you've got people that speak your tongue speak your language it helps in the settling in process so it would have maybe been a factor I don't think that's why Willian signed though Um, I think that Mikel Arteta is an admirer of Willian as is Edu and that's why that deal got done and also David Lewis is somebody who long before Gabriel was even linked with a move to Arsenal Mikel Arteta had spoken of his value so you know, he clearly rates those two players. He rates the experience and, and the kind of behind the scenes stuff that they bring to the side. I think that David Lewis, for the most part, under Mikel Arteta has been a far better player. Willian, he's going through a bit of a difficult patch at the moment, as we've already touched on. We've already discussed. I still think there's a player in there. But in answer to your question, I've gone around the houses a little bit. I don't think that, that was they were signed to bring Gabriel in no I, I, I don't think that's the case uh, Big Gunner D says do you think we'll realistically sign a player in the next window if some of our current players refuse to leave or go out on loan um, it's hard to predict any significant business I would say in this transfer window the the, the coming transfer window I should say the January transfer window I think that You know, We've heard from David Ornstein yesterday as well that Arsenal's plans for next summer are already in place. They're already working behind the scenes to to, to lay the foundations in order to get the players that they want. January, I think it will be more of business on an ad hoc basis, if that makes sense. If we get struck by a number of injuries, for example, in a particular position leading into the transfer window, maybe you'll see Arsenal act. But I do feel like January is more about moving players out then it will be about bringing people in. Just my take, Um, obviously never say never. I'd like to see Arsenal do significant business in January, but it is notoriously harder to do that in the January window. And so I wouldn't get my hopes up with regards to Arsenal doing much significant business between the beginning and end of January, if I'm honest. Um, Let's see what else we've got here. Uh, Just being says, hey, Harry, I've noticed Arteta is a stickler for control, always micromanaging. Do you think he would see changing his system as appearing weak? It's a good point. Um, It's a very good point. Uh, Really, really good point, actually. Do I think he'll be seen as weak? No, because I think that Mikel Arteta has made changes throughout his Arsenal tenure. You know, when he came, we were playing a very different system to the one we are now we often see him tinkering with the personnel. So I don't think he's afraid of making change. I think he's been afraid of maybe being seen as weak in regards to certain situations he's had with, with various players, i.e. Mesut Ozil, Matteo ginduzi I think there you may see Mikel Arteta not wanting to appear weak, not wanting to show that players can get the better of him. But in terms of the system, I don't think that him changing that would appear as weak. I think it's clear as day for everybody to see that we're. It's, something's missing, something's not working. And so I think actually if he doesn't change it, he'll be seen as stubborn, um, which is basically the biggest criticism that people uh, labelled or levelled, I should say, at Arsene Wenger. So, yeah, um, I, 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 I slightly disagree, but I get where you're coming from. I really do. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Um, let's have a look at some of your questions on Twitter because I know a lot of you have put them on Twitter as well so let me just go over there and double check those as well Um, just make sure we don't miss anything Uh, bear with me a second just scrolling over to my Twitter feed here we go right uh, question from Jamal Sarioglu he says why does he play the same system at home as he plays away when it does not work is he too stubborn um, that's what I was just talking about—the stubbornness um, that is kind of visible in Mikel Arteta recently is a little bit of a worry. Um, he plays the same system away, away and at home. I think because he doesn't, he doesn't have faith in the team's ability to defend effectively in any other way. And I've said this before, you know. I know we lack some creativity and we've not been as pleasing on the eye, but. You can't deny that defensively he has improved Arsenal. Um, that goes without saying; the record speaks for itself. So, in that in on that basis, I think that you know that's why he does it. I think that's why he feels like playing, whether it's away away or at home. He feels like the level in the Premier League is too high to to take risks, and he doesn't want to do that. And I feel like it's about safety first with Mikel Arteta. Um, and that's why he he feels the need to play that system. It's also worth mentioning that that system when we're at home is a little bit more adventurous in the sense that it is more of a back four for more of the time in the game than it is when we're away, for example, naturally, when you have the ball which we tend to do more at home, then you're gonna see that shape shift into the shape that we're you know we're trying to have or trying to to use when in possession whereas when you're away from home and maybe you have less of the ball then we're more of a back five um, with a two man pivot in midfield so yeah uh, look, uh, he does use the same system away from home Um, but I think there are nuances to that system there are variations to that system that quite often get overlooked Um, what else have we got here Um, apologies if I'm skipping your comments I'm just trying to pick out questions from as many different people As I possibly can. Uh, Aditya Jane says, do you think Nelson, Oba and Pepe with Saka behind could work? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. I think that Oba, Pepe and Saka would probably be my front three going into the next run of fixtures. Um, That's what I think. I think that would be my front three. Ober through the middle, Pepe on the right, Saka on the left. I think that's how I'd approach the upcoming games. Nelson, though, I don't think fits into the side at the moment. Um, Seen flashes of him in the Europa League, which is great. But do I put him ahead of Saka, I guess, is the question. And I don't. Do I put him ahead of Pepe at this moment? No, I don't. Um, I think Pepe deserves more game time. And if Pepe doesn't perform... And William continues not to perform. Then Nelson gets a look in, but he's further down in the pecking order for me at this moment in time. Archangel says, uh, "How is this any different to Emery last year?" Um, I think it's different because we can kind of understand uh, what Michel Arteta is um, is is trying to do at least we can understand what the vision is um but with Unai Emery I didn't get any of that and the communication thing with Emery was massive for me and again it's not to not to point not to have a go at the guy because his english was very limited but there could have been a translator there we could have had someone who tried to convey his ideas a little bit better to the fans and then maybe we would have been more on board if we actually understood what the plan was also you know I know we've got Partey and Gabriel now, but Emery had some some experienced heads in Laurent Koscielny, in Petr Cech, in Aaron Ramsey, who Mikel Arteta didn't have when he took over the job. And those were kind of, you know, Cech was a very experienced goalkeeper, you could argue, was coming to the end. But Koscielny was, was probably Arsenal's best centre-back over the last decade. I know that's not saying much, but in terms of having that foundation there, and then you had Aaron Ramsey, who I really liked. So he had those players that Mikel Arteta didn't have when he came in. And I actually think that when we lost Ramsey in particular and Koscielny, immediately the squad weakened. I know Kashoni had injury problems, et cetera, et cetera. But a peak fit Kashoni was better than a Mustafi, better than a holding for me, better than a Chambers, better than the guys that, that essentially Mikel Arteta has had at his disposal. Um. So yeah, uh, I I think that Unai Emery had an easier job. Plus, Arsenal hadn't fallen that far at that point. I think they fell further under Unai Emery, and I know that the league position doesn't necessarily reflect that. But I genuinely feel that was the case in terms of our style of play, in terms of the fans being on side. There was just a really downbeat feeling around around Unai Emery, and and Mikel Arteta's tasted success. Unai Emery did it. You know, we went to a a European final under Unai Emery, granted, but we completely embarrassed ourselves in that final. And I think that was the final straw for a lot of people. He got some time at the start of the next season as well, but things were just not improving under Unai Emery. Unai Emery had 18 months in the job as well. Mikel Arteta hasn't had 12 months yet. And when Mikel Arteta gets to that point of 18 months, I suspect that the pressure will ramp up, and naturally so, and rightly so. And then we can kind of you know, then start to draw the comparisons. But he hasn't had that time yet um, to be able to directly compare the two tenures, I think. Uh, Let's see what else we've got here. Um, Just going to pick out a few more before we uh, rack up. Um, Before we lock off, sorry. Uh, Daniel Miller says, what players do you think Arsenal need to sign? I think we need to sign some sort of creative midfielder. I think we probably need another top-class winger as well, based on what we've seen, probably a centre-forward too. Um, I'd like to see, look, if this is the way that we're going to play in terms of our style, then I'd like to see a different profile of centre-forward, someone who's a bit more of a target, um, a bit more of a a clinical goal scorer than Alexander Lacazette, somebody who can be the focal point in the sense of you can play balls up to them as well when the kind of slow, progressive play isn't working, somebody who can... Attack crosses well. Um, Basically, somebody in the mould of Olivier Giroud. And and not necessarily to start every week, but just to have that different option. Because I feel like the way we're playing, we're screaming out for that type of player. And we just don't have one available at this moment in time. So, yeah, I think we need a striker. I think we probably could do with another top quality winger. And I think a a creative midfielder is, is obviously the number one and a must. Robert Morey says, if he comes eighth, do you sack him? It depends on the 8th. Um, it depends on the 8th. Simply, probably, yes, I'd consider it. If he finished 8th, I'd be very concerned if he wasn't able to improve on last season's position, given that we brought Gabriel in, given that we brought Partey in, and that we tied a Bamiang down and all that crap about his future has gone. Yeah, I, I would I'd probably lean towards sacking him, but, you know, if we finished 8th and won the Europa League or, you know we finished eighth but we were only five points outside of the top four or, you know, we won another trophy, then, you know, there's a lot of caveats that you can put to that. But on the basis of it, yeah, if we don't improve, then you've got to start asking questions of Mikel Arteta. See what else we've got here. Um, Just going to pick out two more, I think, uh, before we lock off. Um... Let's have a look. Michael Grayson says, would you rather play more open, expansive football with four at the back or stick with what we're doing? I think results have to be the priority first and foremost. And if we're getting the results playing a, let's say negative brand of football, I'll take that for now. But I didn't enjoy Arsenal under Unai Emery, partly because of that reason. So for me, you can do that in the short term to get the results that you need and get the team back to where they need to be. But it's got a shelf life, it's got an expiry date on it and there's a, there's only a certain amount of time before the fans will get fed up of it. I got fed up of it under Unai Emery and I'd like to see more expansive football but I also understand that we're at, still at the early stages of the journey under Mikel Arteta. So if he feels that playing this way will enhance our chances of getting results, and we do get the results, then I, I can't really have too many complaints. Obviously, though, in an ideal world, I want to see Arsenal playing as much open and expansive football as possible because it's it's what fans want to see. It's what we pay our money to watch. So, um, yeah, I think there's a balance to be struck at this point. Uh, Let's see what else we've got here. Um, MS Hussein says Arsenal fan for 34 years this team are a joke um, Jonathan Porter this is going to be the last question uh, thank you Jonathan he says would any Arsenal players get in a best of the top six side I think not and probably none would even make the bench if we're honest I don't know I don't know um, I think there are some good players in this side but obviously when a team's suffering individuals suffer when individuals suffer the team suffers so I think like it's um it's difficult to say that look a fit and firing top form Pierre Emerick Aubameyang gets into most sides in the world I think so I think you're you're being a little bit harsh there um, I think Kieran Tierney's got the potential to go and play in a top side I think Thomas Partey Thomas Partey has been playing in a top side a side that I would argue are better than some of the top six in England um, and have been better than some of the top six in England over the last few years. Um, so, yeah, look, I do think there are a handful of Arsenal players that um, would have a shout in some of the other big six. But yeah, look, overall, as a squad, we don't have enough top quality players. I think that kind of goes without saying. Uh, final comment. Stape says, let's be honest about this. Arteta has done a fantastic job without Covid. He and we as a club could have done a lot more. Let's get behind him. You make some great points, mate. And, and you know, again, I don't think it's unfair for some fans to ask questions about Mikel Arteta. I've asked questions of Mikel Arteta. It's absolutely fine, but there's a respectful way of doing that and you can still support the team in doing that. And I think you're absolutely right. Look, this is an unprecedented time. Um, COVID has had an impact. Football just stopped. You know, football completely stopped at a time where Arsenal were starting to, I'm not going to say get into gear because the results still weren't particularly great, but... You know, that process was paused and we lost time and maybe we'd be a couple of months further down the line in terms of our progress had that not happened. So I think you have to take that into consideration and would Arsenal have backed in more financially had COVID not happened? It's another interesting point as well. So context is key, isn't it? When discussing anything, I think it's important uh, to think about the context of things and and put things into perspective as well. So, yeah, um, it's a great point. But on the other hand as well, I still think people are within their rights to question Arteta as long as it's done respectfully and productively or constructively, I should say. So as in you're doing it because you feel like we could improve in an area, not just because you want to have a moan. Right, um, that brings us to the end of uh, this Q and A session. Hope you guys have enjoyed it, and I look forward to bringing you more um, in the coming weeks, months, and hopefully years. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new. Hit the like button if you haven't already. And a big shout out to those of you listening to us via the um, with the North Bank platform and the those of you who have come over from Pain in the Arsenal. Thank you to every single one of you. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Going to take a couple of days out. Um, for the international break. So there won't be any content tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, and probably Monday. I think I'm going to have a little bit of a break and we'll be back Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to build up to Arsenal's return to Premier League action. Got a couple of guests lined up next week as well. Very much looking forward to talking to them as well. Um, so yeah, like, subscribe. You know the drill. We'll be back very soon. Till then, cheers.